Welcome to the Doctority Plastic Surgery Podcast. My name is Jenna, and in this series, I'll be speaking to plastic surgery residents and giving you an inside look at what it's like to train at their institution. We'll discuss the logistics, the leadership, and the lifestyle of a plastics resident at their program. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Zach Collier, a fourth-year resident at the University of Southern California in Los Angeles. Zach is from Monmouth Beach, New Jersey, and completed college at the University of Virginia and then medical school at the University of Chicago. His academic interests include burn reconstruction and global surgery. Zach, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Glad to be here. So I'd love to get started with a broad overview of your program. So we have two tracks. The integrated track is a six-year program that you know, as part of the regular match system. And then we have the three-year independent program. So one of the few left in the country that still does that, which is nice because it allows for some customization in the different tracks that you take during residency because of that leeway with the independent residents. How much plastic surgery experience do you get during the first three years? So during the first three years, we we do get quite a bit. um, And every year, they change rotations based off of resident feedback. But in terms of intern year, we have uh, three months of dedicated plastic surgery rotations at both the county hospital and then kind of the private side of that USC hospital system. We have a month on breast slash plastic service. So you do both the oncologic surgeries and then stay for the plastic reconstruction side at the county hospital. And then we do have four months of orthopedic surgery that first year, which we do have a lot of overlap with the plastics team as well because of all the lower extremity reconstruction. So I consider it at least four, maybe uh, eight months during that first year of plastics exposure. Then the second year, we do our first time through the CHLA, which is a children's hospital rotation. It's a dedicated plastics rotation with a great craniofacial group. We do two months that second year. And then we have five months of other plastic surgery rotations our second year um, at both county and one of the other hospitals, uh, Kaiser Permanente. And then third year, we have eight months of dedicated plastics rotations at both county and uh, the Kaiser Hospital. And then we have four months of a hand slash plastics rotation, uh, which is at Cedar sinai And so although it's mostly hand-focused, you do multiple plastics procedures within there. So a very good portion of the entire first three years is plastic surgery to some degree. So you mentioned Kaiser Permanente, Cedar sinai County. Are there any other major sites that you go through? I think that's one of the strengths of our program is the number of sites that we go through. It gives you broad exposure to different kinds of practice models, and I think is something that is really beneficial to see. But in terms of the sites that we have, we have the the main one is which is the LAC USC County Hospital um, in downtown Los Angeles, and that's where a lot of our core rotations are. And then we have uh, right across the block the Keck Hospital, which is the private side, still with the same faculty, just a slightly different reconstructive experience there. And then we have the Cedar Sinai Hospital that I spoke about, where we do both hand rotations and dedicated plastic surgery slash micro rotations. And then Kaiser uh, is great. What's unique about that is the Kaiser Permanente Hospital. We're at West Los Angeles. It's the main hub for all the gender-affirming surgery that's done in Southern California through the Kaiser system. So every single week, they're doing gender-affirming surgery 
now for both male to female and female to male, top and bottom. So it's a great exposure there. And we also do some at Cedar sinai Then we have other rotations at a Pediatric Reconstructive Hospital, Shriners Hospital, uh, which is kind of in conjunction with the CHLA rotations. And CHLA is the main pediatric uh, rotation that we do during both our second and fifth years. And that really is high volume exposure to very high-end craniofacial surgery, where we have our chair, Dr. Irata, who does a lot of very complex cranial vault remodeling and uh, other forms of orthognathic surgery that if anyone's interested in that, that's probably one of the top places to get that exposure. And then we have City of Hope, which is a dedicated breast reconstruction service there. And so anyone who's interested in that form of plastic surgery, both the micro and the non-micro side of breast reconstruction is really a great experience. And then we have our cosmetics rotations, which are through a couple of different uh, faculty, both at the Marina Plastic Surgery in Marina Del Rey with Dr. Grant Stevens, and then also in Beverly Hills with Dr. Calvert. And so the really growing aesthetic exposure is, is quite strong here. And obviously, in being in Los Angeles, we're in a place where aesthetic plastic surgery is, is very high-end and very competitive. And so the faculty we have really are very dedicated and great. It comes out to about 11 different sites that we rotate at. And they all have different exposures and experiences with the kind of plastic surgery, the models. And I think that gives you a great overview of the different kinds of plastic surgeons you could become and really can tailor your interesting experiences to that. And you mentioned there is an independent tract at your program. How does that impact your overall training experience? So the independent program, I think, is great that we have it for a couple of reasons. The first reason is that those who come through the independent pathway have completed general surgery and I think get are a very interesting place in terms of their maturity and leadership. You know, they've been chief residents and then they're coming and joining us as fourth years. And so they bring a different perspective and maturity and leadership to the teams. And all the teams that I've been on that have been led by independent residents, I think, have been great experiences. They really have a different way of approaching things and thinking about things, but all have been very great leaders on those services. So I think that they add a lot in that regard. And then they really are very appreciative of us even as juniors because we've been there for at least three years when they start. And so we can kind of help them with the plastic surgery side of things and they help us develop our skills overall surgically and also as leaders. So they've been a very great addition and I think are a strong point of this program, which is why they keep them as an option, although many other programs are getting rid of it. And the other benefit of the independent residence is that for the first three years, we have three residents per year. And then for years four, five, and six, we have four residents because they accept usually at least one independent resident. But it's very common for at least one or even two residents to take off for research time, which is always after your third year. And depending on whether one or two residents take off for research, they can adjust how many independent applicants they accept, which makes sure that they can always fill all four spots for the PGY four, five, and six years and makes it so that they're very adaptable to different classes. And some classes, nobody wants to take off 
for research and that's fine. And then they only accept one. And just like the class that just came back, two of them took off time for research. And so they were able to accept two independent residents. And so it allows for a lot more flexibility, which is really beneficial to the integrated residents who have that option to take off for research, although it's not mandatory. So that's nice. You mentioned earlier that you will be taking that time. Can you explain a bit more about that process and what you'll be doing? The general process, it's always taken after your third year. And usually they would like you to decide that during your second year just so they can start planning for that in terms of accepting the additional independent resident if needed. And then also for funding purposes. So the different options are you can go and do basic science research. We have a lab, Dr. Wong, who does a lot of uh, wound healing, uh, lymphedema, and radiation-induced damage research. So you can do basic science with him. Um, and then a lot of times that work is either funded under his NIH grants or you can apply for additional funding. You can also do independent basic science research, which is allowed. You just have to find the you know, apply for funding on your own, either through like PSF or NSF, some autonomous funding source. And as long as you can get that, then you'll be given the time to take off, which is a nice option. Then you also have the opportunity for other non-basic science-related research. So we've had residents go and do PhDs at other locations, such as uh, WashU and St. Louis, UCLA. If you're able to apply and get into those programs and get supporting through their PhD tract, then you'll be able to have the time off to do that. So even if you wanted to do more than two years, we've had people do three-year uh, four-year PhDs during that time, as long as you're able to get the approval from those other programs and support. And then myself, I'm doing a two-year global surgery fellowship. So this is a unique fellowship that currently is run out of USC and CHLA in particular. Dr. William McGee III, he is a member and currently running the Operation Smile organization. His parents actually co-founded Operation Smile, Bill and Kathy McGee. And so what they have is this very unique global surgery fellowship. It's called the SAL Fellowship. And what it is, is it's a two-year program where you work as a consultant and medical advisor for Operation Smile with multiple teams on various projects where you are helping design mission trips, uh, organize volunteers, creating education programs, doing your own research as well as organizational research, and also going on missions. And what's nice is that every fellow who does this has a very different kind of structure of their fellowship. And so the two prior fellows that just finished and are now joining the fourth year class, one of them spent uh, over half of her time doing missions and in those countries. She was focusing on women in surgery and training and developing education programs in Africa. So she was in Madagascar and Morocco a lot. And then the other fellow who just finished, he was very interested in health policy and the organizational side. And so he was stateside quite a bit uh, where he was working with Operation Smile, other NGOs, and also different ministries of health to create various systems to support surgical capacity and allow for improvability to address the surgical need uh, worldwide, especially in low and middle income countries. Myself, because of my particular burn interest, I'm the first fellow to do it really focusing on burns where classically it's been those looking at cleft lip and palate um, and other kinds of craniofacial pathologies. 
I will be tailoring a lot of my research towards improving burn care globally. And so my projects look like those geared toward developing nutritional programs to improve pre- and post-operative nutritional status for enhancing wound healing and decreasing complications with surgeries. I'm looking at actually creating residency programs in places such as Rwanda and Ethiopia. So I'm responsible for curriculum, milestones, training markers. I'm also designing different burn dressings. So I'm doing some basic science research working with USC material science engineers. And so you have that opportunity to tailor your work that way. And so just three examples of different global surgery fellows who've really done very different things during their time, but it's all under this umbrella of Operation Smile and the overall goal of enhancing global surgical delivery and capacity and improving surgical care in low and middle resource settings. So it's an amazing opportunity that one to two residents per year can do, and you're funded through Operation Smile. So as long as you're accepted to that fellowship, then everything else is kind of taken forward with that regards. And Dr. McGee, who runs the fellowship, is an amazing mentor and has been doing this fellowship now for nine years, going on 10 years. So it's really worked out the program to make it an amazing experience for everyone who's done it. And so there's been many different outcomes. Fellows have worked with Microsoft. They have designed facial recognition software to determine the severity of cleft lip and palate and to actually even now with machine learning, predict surgical outcomes and complications. I'm working with the Microsoft team on different burn diagnoses and prediction models as well. And so you have this opportunity, as you can see, to work with many different uh, other groups on the tech side, business side, health policy side, to really do a lot of amazing things with respect to global surgery. So it's a great program. And as far as I know, the only residency that has that as a potential option. Aside from those taking a more extensive research fellowship, what are the research expectations like during the other PGY years? Clinically, we are busy, but very supported in terms of our research interests. The decision on how much or how little research to do is up to you. The only kind of basic requirement is the ACGMA requirement for quality care improvement projects. But beyond that, which is standard across all plastics residencies, the amount of research you do is kind of up to you. One of our chiefs that just graduated during his time as a resident, he published 120 papers. So you could be very productive, and we have other residents who graduate with less than 10 papers. So depending on what kind of plastic surgery you do, where you want to specialize, you know, that really to a large degree dictates what form of research you want to do, whether it's clinical or basic science, and how much of it. So they do really leave that up to you as to what you want to decide again, because taking research time is not mandatory and we are busy clinically. So they understand that, but our clinic volume does allow for a lot of different clinical research opportunities. And in terms of the support, what's great about this program is any abstract paper, you get accepted to a conference to present. As long as it's a national or international conference, you're guaranteed to have support financially for it. So uh, pretty much paying for the entire trip, supporting that. And it's really because of Dr. Urata and his uh, vision and emphasis on the importance of being actively involved academically within plastic surgery. And regardless, it doesn't matter what the topic is, whether it's burns, craniofacial, aesthetic surgery, micro, whatever it is, it's supported by 
the program and you're allowed to go and present your work as many times a year as you have presentations to do. So again, that resident who published over 100 papers was presenting probably three or four conferences a year and all those were covered. So there was no limit per se to the number of conferences that you can go to that would be covered as long as granted you can get someone to cover your clinical rotations while you're gone. But financially you're covered for as many presentations as you can get. Is there any one area or few areas of plastic surgery that residents come out with the strongest experience in? Microsurgery, reconstructive surgery. So many of our rotations we have great microsurgical faculty at. I would say that on average, residents who come out of this program do not feel the need for a microsurgery fellowship, at least from a technical standpoint. Obviously, fellowships are often needed if you want to get a faculty position for that just because of the current landscape of microsurgery and other sorts of subspecialties within plastics. But from a technical ability standpoint, most residents come out of this program very confident in microsurgery. There is kind of a seminal rotation during your chief year, your sixth year at the LA County Hospital, where for four months you're the pretty much attending of that service, meaning that all the patients you make the decisions on and you present them to the actual attendings or faculty who approve them. But this last year, I was on this rotation with the sixes and myself as a three, and we were doing the microsurgery cases autonomously from start to finish, and the faculty is there for supervision if needed. But if you are well-prepared and know what you're doing, you could do the entire micro case from start to finish. And so it's very common uh, for us to be doing free flaps with the third and sixth year uh, from start to finish. And so it's an amazing experience and opportunity. And if you have that drive and interest, for sure, you can come out of here very competent and experienced with that. And now new this year is they added additional surgical simulation time. So during your third year, they've added additional six weeks worth of microsurgery lab. And so that allows you to further hone your skills because third year is when we really start to pick up the amount that we're doing uh, microsurgery and involved in that, even though second year is when we technically start doing micro. Third year is where we get a lot more of exposure, especially as we're going through that county rotation. So that's a great strength. And then the overall reconstruction, because we're at county doing trauma, because we're at other high-end trauma facilities, your ability to do other sorts of reconstructive procedures are very high. And it's definitely evident as you look at the chief residents going through the county rotation and what they're able to do autonomously on their own and present and you know what they can accomplish is quite amazing and inspiring. So I think that's something that really is a strong point. Obviously, burns is a strong point, which is one of the main reasons I came here. We probably do more burn rotations than any other plastics residency in the country. If you total the overall exposure to burns, we probably do about six months worth of it during our six years, culminating in our fifth year being the chiefs of the burn rotation. As that chief for three months, you run the ICU. It's an entirely plastic surgery run burn unit, which I think is an amazing experience and opportunity and makes you not only a great surgeon from the acute and reconstructive perspective, but a great doctor, which is a very unique strength of this program, given that focus. And so it's kind of our home base and something that time and time again, residents really gravitate to and are appreciative of. Burns is something that you are very competent and capable in after going to this program. Finally, I would say craniofacial. 
our rotations at CHLA, we do about five months of very dedicated craniofacial at CHLA. And then also when we're at Kaiser, we're doing craniofacial surgeries. And so the attendings that we work with on the craniofacial side are so well-known, well-published, and just amazing teachers clinically that if you have an interest in going to craniofacial, this is a great place to be to get that exposure and uh, see exactly what it's out about and what you know really high expertise craniofacial surgeries look like because we're doing surgeries here at a volume that many other children's hospitals in the country are not able to do. And I think that's because of dedication or drive of our faculty to do these very complex reconstructive procedures. And how would you improve your program? I think one of the ways to improve the program, which actually they did this year, was to add simulation time. As mentioned, during third years, when we really start becoming more independent from a microsurgical perspective, and one of the things that other programs had done that we did not do was have a microsurgery lab time or simulation time. And so that's something that was added this year, and everyone's very excited about it, and I think is going to strengthen that uh, early exposure and really get our residents uh, up to competency very quickly for performing those surgeries when they're on the county rotation and elsewhere. So I'm happy that that was added. And then something that has been discussed that I think will be added during the time that anyone comes here who's applying is more elective time. So again, as mentioned, we have you know over 11 sites that we rotate at and have a very broad exposure, and it's great. But there is some redundancy in certain exposure areas, such as hand surgery. So they're working on taking some of those rotations that we have some extra time to and are easily meeting our clinical volume cutoffs or ACGMA requirements and looking to build in elective time during those rotations to further focus and specifically what you want to do because we have the options of attendings who do any kind of plastic surgery, whether it's gender affirming or complex microsurgery or burns, etc. So we have the faculty and the sites and it's just a matter of getting the elective time to do that. So that's something that they're working on, and I, I see them being able to do that very soon and would really kind of take that customization of your training to the next level. So you mentioned the you know close connection with Operation Smile and the full surgical fellowship opportunity. For residents that elect not to do the full two years, are there other opportunities to have a global surgery experience? There are. So one of them, in a sense, is at the Shriners Hospital, which is in Pasadena. It's very similar in terms of the surgeries that are being done compared to what you do on mission trips. The patient population, because it's Shriners, is a full charity organization. They do fly in patients from around the world to do those procedures that you would be doing on missions. In terms of going to actual missions, outside the country. That is something that they're also currently working on in terms of the program and likely would be incorporated into the elective time that they're organizing is the opportunity to go on these mission trips. But uh, historically, the only time to go on these missions out of country would be during the Global Surgery Fellowship. And so that's one thing that they're working on adding uh, moving forward to the curriculum for those who maybe want that one or two week experience on a mission but don't want to dedicate the two years to the Global Surgery Fellowship. And is moonlighting possible? Moonlighting is possible only during research time. There are many opportunities because we are connected with the Kaiser system that if you do take off any time, it's very easy to be incorporated into the Kaiser moonlighting call pool. And it's something that, as far as I know, every fellow has taken advantage of 
because we are so familiar with the system. We work at those Kaiser hospitals and it's very easy to do those moonlighting rotations and still remain very productive during your research time. Are there any unique perks about your program you'd like to share? Another perk would be the just number of sites that we have. Being in over 11 different locations, you get to see such a broad spectrum of practice models and different subspecialties that someone coming in who isn't completely sure on what they want to do can you know very easily get an exposure to a broad array of things that allows you to help make that decision. And it also translates us to having over 40 faculty members, which means many mentorship opportunities and someone who probably can help mentor you through a specific path uh, that you want. And so I think the mentorship opportunities is something with over 40 faculty that we really have a good strength in. And we have a special dedicated mentorship program where they identify your specific interests, what you may do, and they help match you with one of our 40 plus faculty who has the best expertise and experience to mentor you through that pathway. Probably something that people wouldn't appreciate that's actually a really great perk that maybe a couple residencies have, but is, as far as I know, very unique to the LA County experience is that we have a completely open, available cadaver lab. Every week, there is available cadaver time. These are unpreserved cadavers. It's part of the special cadaver donation system through the county hospital. What you do is, if you want to learn a certain procedure, technique, etc., you're able to message them, contact them. They get whatever equipment you need, including a microscope, if you want to do something microsurgical. They can also perfuse the cadavers. So you can really do high-end walkthroughs of very complex surgical procedures in this cadaver lab that you have access to every single week, even on the weekends. And that's something that I don't know of any other place offering, which I think is extremely valuable. During the summertime, we have like our summer school, the first two, two and a half months of the year. So when we especially have new interns, we have a summer school program where almost every week we're in the cadaver lab. And we have different faculty walking us through some of the core procedures where they run through it first. And then you have an opportunity on your own cadaver to go through those procedures with their guidance and observation. And so not only are the mentors, the attendings doing that, but also the chief residents are walking junior residents through it. And so it's a great learning opportunity. So I think that's something that is a really unique and wonderful strength of our program that not a lot of people know of even until they get to the residency here. Now transitioning, I'd like to hear a bit about the program leadership. Dr. Urata is the chief of the division. He is head of CHLA as well, the plastic surgery department there. And he's both a plastic surgeon and oil maxillofacial surgeon by training. And what's unique is that he runs both the plastic surgery and the OMFS residency programs. He's the head of both, and it leads for a lot of great combined conferences and camaraderie between the two programs, which especially at places like county, where there's a lot of maxillofacial trauma, we're working together as a team, and his leadership of both programs helps facilitate that a lot. And so we actually have quarterly combined conferences with OMFS um, that he leads, which really makes for a unique experience. And he, since he has assumed this kind of the head of the program, really has 
taken us to the next level academically and, and really has a lot of pride in leadership. So I think we're all very fortunate and happy to have him leading the, the ship, if you will. In terms of our program director, we have Dr. Joseph Carey. He has been program director now for a few years, taking over from Dr. Warren Garner. And Dr. Carey works primarily at county and Keck hospitals, so the private version of USC and then the, the public county version. And he is a microsurgeon by training who really does a lot of amazing work training us on the microsurgical side and then also other complex reconstructive side and does a lot of interesting research with transplant surgery and assisting them. And so he, as program director, has really taken under his wing, giving us those additional opportunities and training in microsurgery and supporting us in whatever pathway we do. So we're happy to have him and his kind of new enthusiasm leading the program, especially as we go through this difficult time with COVID and everything's so different. He's really gone out of his way. He's made it really a mission of his to call directly every single resident and ask them how they've been doing with the entire thing, how we can help them personally, how we can make adjustments to the program to account for both COVID in terms of keeping us safe and still giving us the appropriate surgical exposure. And so he really has that individualized passion and interest in making sure that we continue to get great training through all of this. And then we have uh, Associate Program Director, Dr. Hyde Ginnikamshin, who uh, is now two years out of his burn fellowship, and he's the head of the county plastic surgery rotation. And so as the assistant, he's very much in tune with you know our core rotations there and really has been a great advocate for us within the county system. And you know, especially for those just seminal rotations, it's been great to have him leading the charge there and, and giving us those critical opportunities. And he's actually the head of the gender affirming surgery program at county, which is newly formed. And with his guidance and expertise, we've been able to start doing top surgeries at the county rotation, which is, you know, a really great exposure again, because we have so much autonomy there as the third and sixth years. And so the chief residents are able to really guide a lot of those complex discussions for the gender-affirming surgery patients, do those surgeries, and that's an amazing opportunity that's been added because of his really onboarding and work there. And then in terms of other notable faculty, again, with over 40 faculty, it's so hard to really pick out a lot of the, the leaders that are there, but on the burn side, anyone who's interested, Dr. Warren Garner is really well-known internationally for his work, both basic science side and clinical side on burns, wound healing, etc. And so anyone who has that interest, he is a great mentor as well as Dr. Gillenwater, who's the newly assumed director of the burn unit. And then we have other leaders such as Dr. Kate and Patel. Anyone who's interested in lymphedema surgery will probably know and have read the book on lymphedema surgery, which he's one of three authors on and is very well known for. And so anyone who wants to do cutting edge lymphedema surgery will be able to do that with him here, especially at the Keck Hospital which is a nice exposure that not many programs can offer in terms of the leadership within lymphedema surgery. And then we do have a lot of great hand faculty and staff, both at the Kaiser and Cedar system, who anyone who's interested in pursuing that uh, really has no shortage of mentors and exposure to very high-end uh, hand surgery. So I will make a plug for the aesthetic cosmetic experience. So Again, being in Los Angeles, uh, we're at a place where there is a lot of high-end cosmetic surgery that is going on. With our rotations, especially with Dr. Grant Stevens, 
Dr. Louis Macias, Dr. Jake Calvert, you really get an exposure to the highest end of cosmetic surgery. And classically, the Aesthetics Fellowship here tends to be the top in the country. Dr. Grant Stevens has been the president of American Aesthetic Society multiple times and really is a great leader there. Anyone who's interested in aesthetics, again, we have very notable faculty here, and it's a great place to practice, especially with having you know, one of the top aesthetics fellowships. So there's a lot of great exposure that you can have depending on what you want to focus on. Can you tell me about a time when residents brought an issue up to the program leadership and how they responded to it? Probably the most concrete recent example would be with COVID and the issues with resident safety, especially at places like County Hospital, where we're going down into the ED for various consults in the ED at the County Hospital was very high area of concern for exposure to coronavirus. And after bringing our concerns about protection with PPE and unnecessary exposure of residents, the staff was able to communicate with the acute care surgery team to facilitate transport of patients out of these high-risk areas to other more protected, isolated areas for assessment of the patients and potential procedures if needed, as well as going out of the way to get PPE specifically for the plastics residents. So they're able to go out and get masks, whether it's regular surgical masks or N95s, and actually have them in our plastic surgery office that were specifically available to the residents to use if there were any issues that should arise with access to PPE. So they went out of their way to really make us feel safe and protected. So I think that was a great recent example of how they have done that. Another issue may have been with different call schedules, such as like the CHLA rotation. It's so busy, especially in the summertime, being on call with all the children out of school, etc. And so they actually, after hearing feedback from residents, they went out and hired two new PAs to help carry the pager and really help run the team during the daytime when the operating room. And even some attendings took calls at night, so they were primary call for the pager at nighttime to give residents uh, you know, that opportunity to get a break from calls. And so the attendings really are willing to go that extra mile to even take primary call if needed to help us out. And then eventually uh, we're able to hire additional PAs to assume that position and, and really protect us and give us a, extra time to focus on the really interesting, unique surgeries that we were doing. So I think it's pretty amazing that they were able to hear that feedback, come up with a temporary solution where they were putting their hours and their sleep on the line, and then eventually able to get the additional funding to hire the staff to help us and give us an even greater experience. So I think that's a pretty amazing response that they had, and this shows how adaptive they are to our feedback. Can you tell me a bit about the relationships amongst the residents and the culture there? The residency that we have, the residents in particular, What's amazing is the camaraderie, and I think that people always worry that being at you know over 11 sites that it may be hard because we're always so scattered, but really every week on Wednesdays and Fridays, we have conferences where we all get together regardless of where we are in the city. Now it's much easier with the Zoom conferences, albeit, but you know every week we're getting together at least one to two times as a group, so there's always time to, to catch up and meet each other and check in and really develop those close connections. And because the program clinically has such a high volume and often our plastics teams have multiple resident levels on them, there are many rotations where you're working with other 
members of your residency and get very close with them, you know, you really get a lot of camaraderie. And so I think that on the clinical side, you know, we get along very well. And, and that's kind of because we go through these rotations together as a team and really accomplish a lot as a team. And that does translate out to kind of our personal lives outside of that. So like my class, the three of us were extremely close to each other, we had a strong bond of friendship that went through all aspects of our life. And actually for me, that was the hardest part of t- taking off these two years was them going ahead and, and me staying for the research. So it'll be interesting when I come back, I'm a fourth year and they're chief residents. So they'll be leading me on some teams. I think that's one of the things that's great also about the size of our program. We have 21 residents. When you have that many residents, there's really an opportunity to find someone who has similar interests than you, really who you click or get along with. And so I think that allows for not only strong teams clinically, but then great friends outside and kind of your social or personal life. And something else is out of the 21 residents, uh, 12 are women. And I think it's very apparent in a lot of decisions that are made with the program that it's a big goal of them to support women in surgery and women leadership in surgery. And so there was a a conference every year in Michigan about uh, women in surgery that they support and allow a lot of our residents to go to. And then other opportunities, uh, mentorship program with our female faculty, all those things that I really think emphasize the, the diversity of our program and kind of that focus or emphasis on really improving that diversity, especially in a field with plastic surgery, which historically has not been very diverse. And so I think that's a great focus that our program has and the residents, I think, very appreciative of it. And now a little bit more about the logistics of how residents live. Do most residents own or rent? Most residents will rent probably the first year or two because, you know, they're still figuring out the city, where they want to live, commutes, etc. But then as you get more senior, you're taking less in-house call or less primary call. People tend to buy homes, and especially if you're going to stay here for five or more years, it definitely makes a lot of sense. And so you do find a good amount of people buying because in a place like LA, you know, your equity, your property value does go up consistently, even in times of you know economic crisis like right now. So it's a pretty safe, reliable thing to do to invest in property. And so you do see more than half of the residents actually own, whether it's a house or a condo, townhome, et cetera. So it is a very common thing that, that you have. And because I think a lot of residents do start families during residency, whether it's during their research time or even not, we have residents that don't take off time and still start families because it is something that's very supported and a priority of our program director that people tend to look towards buying properties when they have that focus. So what's kind of the spread of residents that are single, married, or have kids? Over a third of our residents have children. Probably over two-thirds are either married or in a serious relationship. So it's very much a kind of family-oriented, relationship-supporting goal of of our residency to have those possibilities. And so actually, it's much easier for me to count the number of people who are single than the people who are uh, married or or in serious relationships. So it's, it's very common for us to have that. And when you say the program supports families, what do you mean by that? 
depending on when you plan on having a family, whether it's planned or not, during the first two years, because we have other non-plastic surgery rotations, uh, sometimes uh, other services will expect certain things in terms of coverage, especially if you're going on maternity leave or even paternity leave. And so our program directors always make sure that regardless of what rotation you're on, whether it's a plastics rotation or some other service, to ensure that you have protected time and that they'll be able to get coverage for you no matter what and work it out. And so I think that that's something that's been very nice is that all the women who have decided to start a family and, and take maternity leave, uh, it's guaranteed. And then for the male residents who take paternity leave, that's also uh, been something that's guaranteed that previously historically hadn't been and is something that they take very seriously and will make sure that you have it. I might already know the answer to this, but is it necessary to have a car? I would say yes, um, because of the number of sites you work at. I think now, because we're driving so early in the morning and late at night, that the traffic overall isn't as bad as people think for Los Angeles. You're not really sitting in the rush hour traffic and whatnot. So the time in the car isn't bad, but definitely given the number of sites you work at and because you take home call for quite a few of those rotations, I would say having a car is extremely beneficial. And the public transit in LA isn't the best, so you probably would be using Uber, or taxi, Lyft, etc. if you didn't have a car. What do you like most about living in LA? Oh, it's a hard question. I mean, there's so many great things to like about living in LA. I'd say my favorite thing is just the, the diversity in terms of culture. So I live in little Tokyo, and really, my entire life, I've been very fascinated and interested with Japanese culture. But in terms of the food, so anyone who likes a diverse food scene and very high quality, um, you probably can find any type of food here that uh, is available in the world. And it's done by those who originated that form of cuisine, and it's done extremely well. Um, I recently had become vegan as well, and so there's no shortage of uh, amazing vegan restaurants and options here, which is not the same for every part of the country. Obviously, the museums, the festivals, everything else that comes with having a very diverse city composition is something that's amazing. So the neighborhoods, you know, whether it's Little Tokyo, Philippine Town, Koreatown, Chinatown, etc., you really feel like you can be immersed in whatever place you feel like is home or just want to explore and learn more about. And so that exposure, I think, is something that not every city has to offer and is something that really you should take advantage of while you're here and draws in a lot of people. Obviously, the weather is great because, you know, any day that you have off, you're probably going to have nice weather and be able to do something outside and enjoy it in some way. So it's definitely beneficial to not have to worry about a lot of bad weather interrupting your plans. And that goes along with saying that anyone who likes hiking, running, camping, surfing, snowboarding, any sort of outdoor activity we have here. Um, so it's really easy to do whatever sort of outdoor hobby that you have because there's just so many options with the mountains nearby, the ocean, just the number of trails. And so it's been something that I've definitely been taking advantage of during my research time. But on any days that you have off, you find very commonly people are either at the beach or the mountain or somewhere doing something outdoors, which has been a great plus given the fact that year-round you have the weather to support that. And then the pace here in California is nice because residency is so 
go, go, go and fast and intense that the general population and people outside when you're off, you know, I feel like it's, it's very friendly, welcoming and open. Coming from the East Coast, I'm very used to that New York City mindset, which is very different than the West Coast and uh, Los Angeles in particular. So I think that you'll find the people here very welcoming and very warm in a way that not every place offers. It does make me kind of like remind me of the Midwest in a way, but even more inclusive and open to individuality and uh, supporting whatever it is your views, beliefs, et cetera, are. So that's really nice about a place like Los Angeles. I think that's pretty much everything I wanted to talk about today. Do you have any final thoughts either on your specific program or on the overall process of choosing a residency? I think the process of choosing residency is extremely difficult, sometimes anxiety-provoking because there's so many of them, and I'm sure there's even more now than when I was applying. But I think the important thing to realize is that there's no one program that's perfect for everybody. At the end of the day, you're selecting a program that's for you, and you have to take into consideration what kind of plastic surgery you want to do, what kind of mentorship you're looking for, what you're looking for outside of your training while you're there because it is a long time of training. And so you have to take into account all these factors and not just, you know, which place has the you know highest average step scores and the most number of papers that people publish because two people at the same program will have a very different experience and some will flourish and some won't. And for example, like USC, because of our clinical volume and the number of sites we're at, you know, it's very much a place where you have to be interested in operating a lot and having autonomy and some people are more interested in autonomy than others and some people are more interested in operating a lot and others want to do a bunch of just research and not be as clinically busy and so here is a great example of a program where you get as much autonomy as you're able to earn and deserve and as I said you know we have chief residents who are doing free flaps they're walking junior residents through free flaps because they're so confident in doing them themselves I think that's an amazing thing that you get at a place where the clinical volume is the way that it is here. But at the same time, again, the research opportunities are there and the time to take off is there and supportive family is there. And so, you know, obviously I think the USC residency program is amazing. And, you know, obviously I'm going to be, you know, biased saying that I think it's the best in the country and why I came here. But I do think that it was the best in the country for me. And you have to find that program that's the best in the country for you because it's not going to be the same for everybody. And so really listen to these podcasts, see, get a feel for what the residencies are like, what they're offering, what's their kind of style, and how that aligns with your goals and interests. Because how you respond to a residency program and grow in that program is going to be different than somebody else. And so just really take that to heart and listen to these podcasts or research the residencies very closely, ask residents there about it, and do your best to learn about each one because they are so different. As cheesy as it is, it really is a match. You have to find that right match because that's so critical to your development and, and being at the right place for you. If students do want to find out more about USC, how should they go about doing that? We have a USC Plastic Surgery website, and we have the USC Plastic Surgery Instagram, where we post a lot of information about our different rotations, what residents there are currently doing. And then through the USC Plastic Surgery Instagram, a lot of our residents' professional accounts are tagged there as well, and you can see what people are doing clinically and then research-wise 
So I think both the, the website and the Instagram are great ways to reach out and learn more about the program. And then also I can provide my email and then the email of some other residents to kind of reach out to you with any and all questions because, again, I think it speaks highly when you have residents who love the program and want to speak about it and talk to people about it. And so we definitely have a lot of those who are uh, interested and willing to help. And so that's another great resource because there's, I think, nothing better than talking to someone who's there in the present, experiencing it, knowing what changes are going on, because sometimes things such as websites uh, lag behind a little bit. So there's nothing like hearing it from those who are going through it right then and there. Well, thank you so much for speaking with me today, Zach. Definitely. It was a pleasure. Thank you for your time. Thanks for putting this together. It's uh, such a tough time right now with people not being able to do sub-eyes and experiencing it for themselves. But I think this is a, a really great way to learn as much as you can through this media and get an idea for what place will be best for you. And I'm really excited to see everyone come through applying and hopefully hearing your stories and, and how we can help you become the plastic surgeons you want to be. Thank you for listening to the Doctority Plastic Surgery Podcast. Never miss an episode by subscribing to our show via your favorite podcast service and following us on Instagram and Twitter. For more podcast episodes and residency information, check out our website, doctority.co. That's doctority.co. We love feedback from listeners, so please contact us through the website or through social media with your questions or suggestions. See you next time.